Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from Mark, the ninth chapter. Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Here ends our gospel lesson. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kids are great. Well, (laughs) thankfully, at least that's what we think these days. This was not so much the case in the ancient world where Jesus and his disciples walked and ministered. Believe it or not, infant mortality rates were so high in the ancient Roman world and the value of each human life relativized by everyone's station in life to such a strong degree. By that I mean, kings and leaders were often thought of so highly that they were revered as gods, while mining slaves were treated so harshly, for instance, that their average lifespan was six months. That in this era of human history, children were not cherished, but were dismissed as replaceable and near second-class citizens until they got older. A few thousand years ago, children died often and regularly. And while the same maternal bonds were formed between mother and child, then as now, the rates of paternal grief were far higher and much more a central part of life than most of us care to think about and remember these days. Modern medicine is truly miraculous. And we should thank God for the gift of evidence-based care every day. I know I do, because I'm convinced that if we had lived in a different time, my wife and son would not have survived his birth. All this is to say that the lives of children in Jesus' day were not valued highly until they grew to prove that they could live into adulthood. Things varied from nation nation to nation and culture to culture back then. But it is fair to say that perceptions of childhood were categorically different than they are now. These days, 
Children are lifted up as young souls who embody innocence, joy, life, growth, and all sorts of good things. Right, Freya? Yeah. <laughs> Man, she owned that one. <laughs> I was going to say, they're lifted up as good and innocent and joyful and all sorts of good things, at least by those who don't have to change their diapers. <laughs> From Gerber babies to Hallmark cards, children are heralded as little ones who embody hope and optimism purity, and love. In the ancient world, on the other hand, children were often held at arm's length as beings who were vulnerable, weak, and unproductive, could not fight or feed themselves. And in ancient economies that valued human product productivity more than the sacredness of human life, Children were often looked down upon as second-class citizens until adulthood, dispensable until proven valuable. It was so bad in some areas, in fact, that in Greek and Roman culture, it was considered acceptable, considered acceptable and good to leave deformed or sickly babies on hillsides, just like leave them out in the open to at best be taken by farmers who needed extra hands at the plow, or worse, to die by starvation, freezing in the cold night air, to be eaten by wolves or other predators. Amazing. Children were treated brutally back then. And one of the great miracles of the early Christian church is the orphanages that they started to raise all of the unwanted babies would be left to die in these horrific ways if the faithful did not intervene to raise them when nobody else would. I tell you all of this to set the stage for the audience that Jesus was talking to. Though the Judeans and Galileans that he was speaking to were not nearly as cruel to children as the Romans who had long taken over their land, still children were looked down upon as lesser than, until they could grow and prove their worth. The sacredness of human life was far from the hearts and minds of even Jesus' disciples, because the pervasiveness of child poverty and death haunted everyone in the ancient world. If you have ever despaired about the state of the world in our time, you do not have to look back very far in human history to count the blessings that, at least by comparison, God has delivered to us in unique ways in our time. And to be thankful for the brilliant minds and strong efforts of those who have staved off death, staved off death for our little ones. 2,000 years ago, though, their answers to child death and poverty were limited. Instead of innovating medical solutions to child illnesses or creating systems in which the poor were cared for as much as the rich, they resorted to treating children as vulnerable weaklings who should not be respected or valued in the same ways as those who could help themselves. So, when the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them, and Jesus responded by taking a little child in his arms and saying, 
Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. When he did this, Jesus was doing something truly profound. He was going against every prevailing thought, belief, and expectation about who mattered and why in his day. And showing us that God does indeed side with the least of us. Unlike the Persian and Egyptian rulers who tried to convince their subjects that they were God incarnate, doing this by keeping everyone poor and making themselves rich at everyone else's expense, Jesus did the opposite. Jesus took a child in his arms and instructed his disciples that God was to be found in the helpless child who could do nothing for them in this world. Now the word used in the original Greek text for the child here is um, paideon, which specifies that the child was very young, not even 11 or 12. Unlike the emperors and kings who sought to be revered as divine, leaders who could make war on enemy nations and bring the masses to their knees, This young, little child could do nothing for the world and nothing to benefit anyone who welcomed her. She could not read or write, had no money in her personal possession, could not build a house or even yet be a mother. In the eyes of the ancient world that only viewed personhood in terms of output, productivity, quantifiable value. This child was still worthless. In the eyes of God, though, this child held the promise of eternity, as does each of us, regardless of what we can do for others. How powerful an expression of God's love is this. Not only does God promise to welcome us as children of the heavenly kingdom, God also identifies with the smallest of us, the least in this world. When we are at our most tender, our most vulnerable, our most in need, we are also at our most holy. Those who can hardly see the world around them through their newborn eyes shine the light of God to the rest of us most clearly. Those who cannot feed themselves, clothe themselves, or even walk or talk are like the one who promises to give us wings to soar through the highest heights and legs that will never tire as we sprint through the vast heavenly spaces. Those around us who are newest to this world and some of the most vulnerable from among us Bear the kingdom of God, which can never be shaken. This is a powerful example of how God flips the expectations of this world on its head, if there ever was one. Since I do not write these sermons for children, I'm going to assume that you would not consider yourself as one of these little children that Jesus was talking about. The act of proclaiming the gospel, after all, 
is <clears throat> an act to, for those who can interpret the word in the world and apply it to their lives. Yet, even if you do not consider yourself a little child, maybe you do, I don't know. I hope you hear this gospel passage speaking a few things directly to you this week. First off, if you find yourself caught up in the rat race of life, trying to make yourself stand out and be the greatest that ever was, like the disciples, from anything like working the hardest at your job, being the best fly fisherman in Montana, or whatever the case may be. Todd's smiling. Todd, does that apply to you? Or? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a golfer, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> whatever, however you might try and establish your own greatness, know that we are not great in the eyes of God because we are strong and capable, but instead, because we are and always will be children of the Heavenly Father. It is God who makes the child holy, good, and great, even though the child is still small and vulnerable. Likewise, it is God who makes us good and holy, even when we remain weak, vulnerable, and broken. If we think we make ourselves great because we earn a lot of money, build bigger houses, farm and ranch more acres and larger herds, drive nicer and newer cars, are more trim and fit than the next person, or whatever other illusions we may have of our own greatness. We fool ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We hear from the Gospel of Mark this week that God identifies human greatness with human vulnerability. When we are at our weakest, that is when God makes us the greatest. Lastly, we should rest assured that God comes to us when we are in our greatest need. Just as children are helpless on their own and made to be cared for by mothers, fathers, family, and friends, so we are made to be cared for in deep and eternal ways by our Creator. We should not be ashamed of our human weakness or vulnerability but instead embrace the truth that these are the parts of our lives and ourselves where God intends to care for us the most. When we, are, when we are at our sickest, when age starts to catch up with us, when we are worn out from work, exhausted by the world bearing down on us, or feel down and out in any way, that is when God promises to care for us the most. In fact, in these moments that many would consider to be the least and most unfortunate of our lives, God turns things around and makes them better than we could ever imagine for ourselves. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If 
you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.